0: Mitchell with a wrister that is kicked away by Brad Richards, taken on by Kopitar. Kopitar to the back. Mitchell again! Score!
1: All right. So I have something I want to talk about, but I have to do it delicately because as we find out in the past, we never know who's listening. Okay. You know, and on the few occasions where we have said things that might anger people, somehow it's always gotten back to them. Right. So I want to say this diplomatically. Okay. But I have had a booking frustration the last couple of weeks that is going to ultimately culminate in me just forgetting it. Okay. You know, saying, oh, well. And it's ESPN. It's always ESPN. And I'll say this about their PR people. They're very, very good at their jobs in the sense that they must walk around with their phones in their hands waiting for emails. And they don't F around. Mm -hmm. You send an email to an ESPN PR staffer and you're going to get a response in four hours or less. Whether it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Sunday, Monday. Doesn't matter. So that's a positive. Another positive is from their point of view they clearly protect their people very well if they they do the dirty work so to speak they're not afraid to get their hands dirty right okay so that's good for them not so good for us like with the trico thing where he had said he'll he'll come on and do it every year but we missed a year because we couldn't go to trico we had to go to his pr guy and he just thought you know there might be better things for him to do okay You know, which then maybe the next year when he came on and he loved it so much, maybe he's figured, well, maybe this is something good for him to do, and hopefully this year when we ask, it'll be as easy as last year. I don't know. Anyway, I've been trying to book. (laughs) I've been trying to book a Rangers fan from ESPN. Did I mention on here who it is?
2: I I know who you're talking about. I don't. Well, she has a different PR person
1: than the one that we usually deal with at ESPN. Okay. So I emailed the guy that we usually deal with at ESPN, and he said, this is the guy you need to Get in email. With Good me. luck. Okay. So I emailed him, and he emailed me right back, and then he emailed me back again and said, this person will be on last week at 4.30. Right. And then he emailed me the next day and said, no, she will not be on. Email me next week, and we'll reschedule. So I emailed him, and he emailed me back, and he said, what time? And I told him, and then he never wrote back. Hmm. So I guess she's never coming on.
2: Doesn't seem that way.
1: No. (laughs) Frustrating, but uh, it is way better than – so we've wanted to have Marv Albert on for a long time. This I'll say without any any, uh, hesitation. Because I'm not even mad at the SPM people. I mean, they're great to work with. Uh-huh. I'm just disappointed it didn't work out right. for whatever reason. I don't know the reason why. Well, I guess one re- one week she must have been sick, and the next week maybe she didn't feel like it because the Rangers are dying. Yeah, I was going to say, they're maybe nothing. she's sad. Yeah, maybe she's just not into it. But uh, we wanted to have Marv on for a long time. We had such a great relationship with Kenny Albert, who had said, said he would do whatever he could to get his dad on, including tell his dad it would be a good thing to do. Uh, But his dad said that he would be more than glad to do it, but we'd have to go through TNT. They won't even email me back, the the person there. Oh, okay. Deutsch gave me the email, and I've sent four or five, and they must be going to their spam. I don't know. Anyway, people did agree to come on today. Good. Yeah, as they do every week. Right. So I shouldn't complain too much, because people do agree to come on every week. <laughs> right. Uh, This week, Rob Stone from Fox Sports is making his first appearance on the podcast. That's another. That's a unique thing about today's show. We have two guests, and it's both their first appearance. Wow,
2: yeah, that is unique.
1: Yeah, Rob Stone is famous for a few things. One, inventing the term ham bone. So if you're ever at a bowling alley and you hear someone yell ham bone, that's because Rob Stone invented it. And I believe it's a term that he coined for five straight strikes.
2: That's a ham bone.
1: That's a ham bone. Okay. As like a turkey is three straight. Right. Five straight is the handbone. Right. And he created that. Much to the excitement and furor of bowling fans everywhere. <laughs> he split them down the middle. The pro handbone people and the oh, that's not appropriate people. Why would that not be appropriate? I don't know. Like, you know how you can go bowling and there's that like lane courtesy thing? Yeah, yeah. And then you'll think you're following it, but you get a stare from a guy like seven lanes down who doesn't think you're following it farther enough down the alley.
2: I always just go one to the left or right. Right, which is what I would go as well. But some people think you should do two. That's some
1: nice. people think you should do six. I, I mean, I don't know yeah. when it ends. You right. know what I mean? But We're not pro So I think there. those people are the ones, the ones who think you should have multiple, multiple lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones who have just take it too seriously. I mean, they just didn't like him. He was hand trying bone. to bring a younger hip. was trying to make the show have ratings. <laughs> he was trying to bring excitement to bowling. Some people didn't like that. Other people would bring hand bone signs to the thing and really loved it. You know? Oh, so I, yeah. So it split s- them. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he now works for Fox Sports. Another bowling term. Split. Split. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he now works for Sp- Fox Sports. Who, where he covers mostly soccer, he played college soccer actually, and uh, he at Colgate. Okay. He played college soccer at Colgate, which uh, Anthony and I call Jinx U, and I tell Rob why in the interview. Okay. So I won't go through it again. It involves me making plans to go there and never making it due to catastrophic <laughs> health uh, yeah. issues, either for myself or for Anthony. So uh, Rob Stone is a soccer guy at Fox Sports and he's going to do an awesome World Cup preview with us. And we'll talk about the World Cup in three things as well. And uh, talk about how Fox is going to be covering the World Cup starting with the conclusion of this one on ESPN. So next year there's a female World Cup and they take over with that. Oh, okay. And then they have it for the next however many the contract is. Uh, although the locations of those next few might be in jeopardy. Because of uh, bribing scandals. They may have to pick again. <laughs> uh, also on the show, Matt Yoder is the um, hes the managing editor of AwfulAnnouncing.com. Okay. And he's going to join us to talk about critiquing announcers. And also, he's a lifelong Saints fan like myself. And we geek out on the Saints for a bit. That site's fun. Yeah, it's a good site. It's a really good site. It's very, uh, it's very nerdy, snarky. yeah, and, nerdy, <laughs> uh, but we talk about all that and, uh, we talk a really interesting discussion about whether or not they're too niche and how they kind of fight being pigeonholed. Okay. You know, cause if you're just about ratings and announcers and things like that, there's maybe a limit to how many people are interested in that.
2: That might be true, but that is whenever I hear them brought up, I mean, obviously that it, it's it that is about that Right. Right. Yeah.
1: So we'll talk to him about how, that, how you grow that, okay. which I guess his managing editor would be one of his jobs. Uh, so two good interviews today. We're also going to update the book club, which is really busy this month with the Cuba stuff and the video game stuff. and video games always go right together. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll end with one last thing, and we'll start now with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. The count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
2: <laughs> this is the funnest night ever.
0: <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep.
1: Now let's move on to other business. I realized that open was a lot of jibber jabber with not much payoff.
2: No, but that's I mean, we usually do that stuff in there. Forget yeah. to introduce ourselves, talk <laughs> about the
1: guests. Didn't say what the episode was. It's uh, the eighteenth episode of the fourth season. Yeah,
2: you know, yeah. I listened to uh like the nerdist podcast. Yeah, popular one. Yeah, the successful than I was. <laughs> proud. Slightly yeah. a little bit. He had Tom Cruise on it when I was listening to, so just a right. little bit bigger get. But uh He mentions the episode number. A lot of podcasts do that. I don't Corolla doesn't, but the Nerdist will say, like, it was episode 531. It's like, is somebody out there, like, keeping track of it? Like, well, is... it's good
1: for us. I mean, it, it, it helps us order them and place them and find them and things like that. Right, sure. But I don't know why they need to be mentioned at the beginning. But yeah. I usually do, and I do right, we, no right. right,
2: yeah, I guess that's more what I'm getting so at. So I was
1: too busy jibber-jabbing. This is
2: 18, right. by the way. Yeah, yeah. 418, right.
1: All right, anyway, uh, first thing today, as we've been doing the NHL and NBA Finals. Well, that's it for the NHL Finals. Yeah, pretty much. it's too
2: bad. Right, what happened is exactly what you said. Well, you said you didn't want the Rangers to sweep. You'd rather have the Kings win in seven, and it looks like it's going to be the opposite. The Kings are going to sweep.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the Rangers shouldn't be in the position they're in, but they are, sort of.
2: No, I saw a friend on Facebook said something to the effect of, like, the West is so much better, uh, the Rangers are embarrassing themselves, and I, I just responded just and not. said, they have been behind for zero seconds of the first two games.
1: Right, that just sounds like someone who hasn't seen any of the right. games. Right, yeah, I mean,
2: bounces happen, and the Kings have been getting bounces, they got a bounce to win... Game seven of the Chicago. I mean,
1: yeah. Goal that, I mean, ricocheted off of three things. Right. They didn't even know until like one o'clock in the morning who, who scored. Got credit it. for right. it, So, you know,
2: hockey comes down to bounces. I know uh, Mike Shope, a guy we've had on before, says or has said sometimes it's like, it stinks that more pucks don't, like, hit the back of the net anymore. You know what I mean? Like, pucks just sometimes trickle in or bounce over a goalie or whatever. Just the goalies are too good. And the Rangers have had
1: leads, and they've blown the leads. and Yeah, 2 2 they've nothing. They've made leads. huge mistakes. Like, that first game one loss in overtime is just a horrendous turnover by Dan Girardi. Like, if you're going to lose that game, you got to make them earn it. You can't just hand it to them like they did there. And then in Game 2, you know what? Nobody wants to hear crying from a team that blew a multiple-goal goal lead. lead yeah. But the goal should have never counted to make it 4-3 to three where the guy fell on Lundquist, whether inadvertent or not. And I'm okay with it not even being a penalty. Like, it wasn't necessarily. But clearly, his presence on top of him interfered with Lundquist's ability right. to save the puck. And that's a rule that the NHL has admitted there's been no consistency on how it's been called and they're going to need to spend the summer making that better. Yeah, I remember
2: the Sabres getting the benefit of one or two horrendous ones this year where the goalie wasn't even touched. I mean,
1: that was one that I just can't believe. I couldn't believe. Like, I was shocked that it wasn't at least waved off. I could understand why maybe there's a little gray area as to whether it was a penalty, but, man, should that have been waved off. And then, right before the Kings scored the game-winning goal in the second overtime, they, the defenseman cleared the puck clear over the glass. Yeah. You know, I mean, they that was close, and there was one replay that looked inconclusive, but then NBC did a great job of showing one. It's just another example of a bounce. The Kings got a break there, because they could have very easily been shorthanded instead of scoring the game-winning goal.
2: I always like when those type of scenarios, the over-the-glass ones, will have, like, a 10-minute conference, like, Shouldn't your first instinct on that probably be the best and one? That's like, what, what do you decide 10 minutes later? It was
1: close. The linesman was very definitive right away that it hit the glass, and they went with that, and I'm okay with that, sort of. Yeah. I'm not really saying that, oh, they blew it or the Rangers got screwed. It's just another example of the Kings got a break because he could have very easily decided that one the other way, and they would have been
2: shorthanded, not scoring. Yeah, they're a really, I mean, they're a really good team. Like really I, good. When this – when it started, I mean, I keep saying it. I had said the winner of the Sharks Kings was going to win the cup. I just happened to have the Sharks, so I looked really wrong. But uh, they're a good team, but they have gotten a lot of bounces. But that happens in hockey. And it's they they a flat puck. It bounces funny.
1: They got the the Sharks were had them three three zip. You know yeah, the, the Kings yep. had him up, or the Hawks had him up by two goals. Right. Going into uh, in, during that game seven. Had it up by one going into the third period of Game 7. So people have had them on the ropes and they've just been resilient. And Drew Doughty is unbelievable. Uh, I do think that unfortunately for Ryan McDonough, because of how great Drew Doughty has been this playoffs, we've overlooked how good Ryan McDonough is, who is the kind of Rangers equivalent. I don't even want to say the poor man's Drew Doughty because he's better than that. Actually, yeah, is uh, you know, uh, he's a fantastic player. I
2: mean, obviously they're up three nothing since we talked last. Is Doughty still? He's is he the caller winner or not uh, caller? Kind of smith- kind of smith- yeah, yeah, I don't
1: think anyone because I mean, taking it from him,
2: uh, Gabrick, I guess probably has a case for it too. Right, as the leading scorer and Kopitar.
1: In the I mean, they have the thing is I think their forwards are just kind of cancel each other. out. Right.
2: Yeah, there's so many of them.
1: Right, and I don't think quick. Quick no. has played one great game, right? Yeah. I game don't. three of the cup, he played his great game right at the right time, because I think the shots last night were like thirty something to fifteen, which makes Lundqvist look really bad. But right, I mean, two of the goals were tipped, and the other one, you know, was a two-on-one that got blocked, so it was just a slam dunk. You know, he tried to pass it over, and it got blocked right back to him, and the goalie's dead when that happens. Right. If you yeah. could do that on purpose, you'd do it every time. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you could. Bounce it off the defenseman, right back to yourself. You do that every time because the goalie's got to react to it's the pass. Swim by, right? And you know, so Lunquist wasn't terrible last night. He just got some bad breaks, and uh, Quick was outstanding. So the Rangers are probably not going to win the Stanley Cup. The Kings no. probably are, and that's probably going to be over before it's going to capture the imagination of the country.
2: Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Again, a real good playoffs. I mean, this is probably worst-case scenario for yeah, the, actually, like, the two biggest out. markets. Yeah. Again, I mean, to pat ourselves on the – not me personally, but Buffalo killing it. Yeah, number
1: number two overall in game one, number three overall in game two. Yep. Yeah, so great. I mean, LA did do here. enough to uh, – did get enough viewers to pass us on Saturday, but i guessing that's only because it was so beautiful here. Yeah, it's only nice so out. many right. beautiful Saturdays in Buffalo. <laughs> but – uh also on Saturday... Oh, wait. wait whoa, whoa, Hold on. Slow down. Back up. Forgot Basket. the NBA. Yep. What a bizarre, bizarre final they're having. Last week, I complained that they hadn't started yet. And today, I'm going to complain that they've barely played it. Right. Like, what are these games? I'm assuming there must be Game 3 tonight. But it didn't start until yes. Thursday. And we should start there because Thursday, the Heat had a lead. Then the air conditioning... Literally broke inside the arena. Right, LeBron James started cramping, cramping had right. to be carried off. The Spurs won, and everyone on Twitter was a cramping expert.
2: Right, yeah, I heard. Uh, uh, again, going to Mike Shope talking about how he pulled up some article that doesn't link cramping to hydration and like they, we. I guess uh, I learned more about cramping this past few days than I would have known beforehand. But I guess. Uh, w- as much as we know, and uh, we've got people on. The, we've sent people to the moon, and we have phones that have right. every piece of information imaginable. We don't know where cramps come from still, apparently. Yeah, I and, didn't know that.
1: And uh, Gatorade was trolling LeBron.
2: Right, and then and there then was then pictures of him drinking Gatorade. drinking Gatorade. He was drinking Gatorade.
1: He just takes the label off right? because he's a Powerade guy for right. his endorsements. So, so uh, they backed off and yeah, apologized. I, I, I imagine. <laughs> and uh, it's just the guy such a polarizing
2: figure that – this stuff just follows him. You know, was it you that said on Twitter or maybe it, somebody said on Twitter and I totally agree with it. It's not that he cramped. It's that he went off like in a wheelchair or yeah, whatever. He got like, carried got off. carried off. Right. And like then, the dramatics of it. And the then
1: LeBroning thing. was trending on Twitter that night. Yeah. I,
2: ha- I didn't see any pictures of it. People but... carrying people. Oh, is that all it was? Know, okay. Essentially
1: is what LeBroning <laughs> was. Two people in Spurs jerseys carrying, uh, Incapacitated looking gentleman or lady, funny, yeah. But uh, I didn't get involved in it. I don't know, and I, I'd imagine that LeBron James would have been out there if, if he, he could walk. Sure, and, I, and, and then I,
2: he shut everyone up.
1: Game two, so and he did, and that's the next part. Game two, which they waited days to play. Uh, they didn't, you know, rush right into game two. They <laughs> took their time, uh, and they finally did get around to playing it. I guess Sunday. So Thursday, Sunday. So they took a couple days off there. And uh, yeah, LeBron went off. And it's tied at one. And I still think, for whatever reason, based on nothing, the Heat are going to find a way to win this.
2: Yeah, I based it on nothing too. I just assume, uh, to me, I mean, this isn't, not to me, this is pretty commonly thought. But, I mean, basketball is the one sport that one person can make a difference. It's kind of like in college. If you can get one good player... It can turn your entire your program around, and I, I don't know. I'm just gonna with only five guys on the court. I'm gonna side with the best guy on the court. So, yeah, and
1: the the stars on the other team
2: are ageless but aging. Sure. And the longer this
1: series goes, the longer the playoffs go. The, I gotta figure that's gotta favor LeBron.
2: Right. But that said, I mean. Smarter basketball guys than us said the Spurs, this is a dream matchup for the Spurs. So, Right. And they showed it in game one, and game two was tight, so we'll see.
1: All right. Well, game three is tonight, and we should be know more about what kind of series we got next week. Yeah. And if it's really good, we'll
2: get somebody. And this is the first year of the 2-2-1-1-1, two, two, one, 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 right? Right, yeah. They're, so they're. so it
1: will be back in uh, San Antonio regardless. Right. So hopefully they got the AC working. Yeah. All right, uh, second thing, which was also on Saturday, as was Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals. There's still no Triple Crown winner. And I go by the word of Tim Layden when it comes to horse racing. Tim Layden has been on this show a few times. He's a very nice guy. He covers sports racing for Sports Illustrated, which is kind of our publication if we had to pick one. Sure. And it played out exactly like he said it would. That some horse who hadn't raced in the Preakness would have more energy in the stretch, the last piece of that mile and a half race, and would outrun a tiring California Chrome, and we wouldn't have a Triple Crown winner. And that's what happened. Uh, California Chrome was on the rail. He was in good position to make a run. I heard the jockey say they came down the stretch. He hit the whip. And the horse just didn't have it. Yeah, And he finished tied for fourth. No Triple Crown since 1978. Uh, the winner was, I think, an 8-1 to one shot who hadn't raced in either of the first two legs of the Triple Crown. And then the big story became one of the owners of California Chrome essentially going off, going off yeah. about the system and points and how he's never going to see a Triple Crown winner because... Of the rules and they need to be changed. And he kept saying it's not fair to the horses, which I thought was hilarious because how did the horses even know? <laughs> like was uh, California Chrome like looking next to him saying, hey, that guy wasn't at Belmont or at Preakness. <laughs> this is bull. This is bullshit. I don't, I don't think so.
2: I, I would guess not.
1: So I don't think I'm worried about fairness to the horses. He's just mad that he wouldn't have an essentially invaluable
2: horse. How, how would you do it differently? I mean, if you make him race at all of them, you wouldn't have any. Left, right? Wouldn't right? some of them get hurt? Well, only three race.
1: Only three raced in all three this year. So that would essentially mean. So then, if you don't want any of the horses who didn't race in all three, he wanted just three horses. I should out know there. this, but
2: what place did California Chrome come in? He's tied for fourth. So fourth. Was he beaten by any of the other ones that ran all three races? I think
1: all three of him, the horses
2: ahead of him didn't race in all three. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess he has something there. I My, my first thought was I have uh, some family that is more into this, and I kind of asked on Facebook, and I was late to the party, so I don't even know if I got a response, but I said, who's to guarantee that if the field was better in the second race, California Chrome would have even won? Like, the reason you were so close is because you get a layup for the second race, essentially. Right. This happens all the time, so... He would have had a much tougher second race. Maybe he would have strained himself. I, I, I just don't, I don't think, think it's they, automatic. That... They
1: shouldn't change anything. This is the way it's been forever. The second you change it and a horse wins it, it's right. completely cheapened. Plus, it should be harder. Leave it the way it is. Everyone says that horse. I can't remember his name, and this is what hurts horse racing. is. If I ask you in September who the horse was, you're going to have a hard time coming up with California, California Chrome. Chrome. We yeah. both are. But the one a few years ago that had to pull out of the last one because of an injury, everyone said that horse may have had what it takes. Let's just wait for one of those horses to come.
2: Wasn't there the one they put down on the track, too, that was really good? But That was uh, in 06. Okay, so that's going back.
1: Yeah, that was because that was during the Sabres Hurricane series.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, that one lived for a bit, I think. I don't know if they put it down on the track. Okay, but one I, of them broke its leg on the track. But it definitely was injured, and okay. it did die. I, I just think it might have lived for a few days. Gotcha. But I know that the Belmont is the only significant race in the United States that's as long as it is. So horses aren't bred to win long races like that, mm. which is uh, part of the reason. But you know what? Let's just uh, leave it the way it is, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna make Belmont great. Every two or three years that we have a guy with a chance,
2: right? Yeah, and I mean, if you want, if someone's going to win be special, this, special, right? You if wanna, someone's
1: going to win this every four years because you change the rules. Who who's going to care?
2: Right? Yeah, I mean, as it, uh, this is the best case scenario for them. Yeah, they want California horses.
1: Chrome losing this year, even if it's because a guy who didn't, a horse that didn't race previously, uh, won, doesn't make me any less interested next year if there's a horse right with two going into the third but
2: if he wins it this year and then someone else wins the triple crown in the following year i mean you're you're kind of a niche sport anyway don't change it yeah you don't whatever wanna, you do you don't want people it. like me flipping on for no good reason not that i i didn't happen to but you want people flipping on just to see if it happens
1: miss caster and i were at a restaurant and they had, uh, they had it on and when it got time for the race, it turned the volume
2: on and oh, really?
1: everyone was into
2: it. And so I would have, I would have, I mean, obviously I would have watched the next scenario, but down I, the I didn't stretch, it, out. it was
1: four wide and California Chrome was one of the four in there. Just didn't have enough. So, so how
2: did, uh, the big question is how did uncle Paul
1: wager this time? Uh, he didn't because he was doing yard work and forgot. Oh, so he still has his winning $14. Or yeah. whatever, Yeah. His three to five twenty dollar winning ticket, so twelve plus his twenty. Okay. So the OTB still owes him thirty two dollars. Uh. He, they bet he better collect. He better. All right. Third thing this week, the twelfth, which is two days from as we record, is right. the kickoff of the World Cup, which is in Brazil. And I love the World Cup. Yep. I'm gonna say right now, it's a fantastic event, one of the most fun times I've ever had watching sports is Italy's run through it in 2006 to win. I will admit to Rob Stone in a few minutes that when it comes to international soccer, I am a traitor. (laughs) I'm going to admit that. Uh, I primarily cheer for Italy, Uh, although I do not by any means cheer against the United States. I've cheered against them one time, and that was in 2006 when they played Italy in group stages. Uh, Other than that, let's go get it, USA, let's win. Right. It's hard for me to get all pumped about that, though, they're when they're leaving off one of their best players right. out of a grudge and the coach is saying that they're not going to win. Yeah. I say this to Rob Stone, but could you imagine Herb Brooks before the '80 Olympics <laughs> saying, yeah, we're not winning this.
2: Well, didn't he? Kind of, isn't that kind? Of, wasn't that kind of his thing? That we're not good enough, and like, I mean, that's how Miracle makes a play. So, out, do think.
1: you think he the is he trying is, to motivate is, him? That is, way? is tapping into the Herb Brooks school of motivation here and looking
2: to? I hope so, because I I believe the odds of the U.S. winning are somewhere along the lines of the Bills winning the Super Bowl this year. Like literally, like if you were to bet it, I think that's it's pretty close. Sight. That uh, the guy who used
1: to pick elections, he now does stuff for ESPN. Oh, okay. I think it's 538.com, 538.com. Okay. He has Brazil overwhelmingly huge favorites. Like, they're in the 99 percentile, I think, to get past group. Okay. And then they're in the 30% to win it. And the next
2: closest is, like, 15. Wow. So apparently you do get the home job calls though. What was it? South Korea or something had a. They played like eleven on nine. Yeah, it's
1: in it's in South America, and uh, the last time it was there was 1978. Argentina won. South American country. Sure. It's going to be very hot. Some of the games are going to be played in the jungle. There's a really really smart and funny show on HBO. I think it's called Last Week Tonight. OK, or something. And you might have seen this 13 minute clip about net neutrality and this British guy screaming about it. No, you haven't seen it. his name is John Oliver.
2: I've heard of John Oliver. Yeah, that, he's the, the host show. of it. Right. Oh, OK. I, yeah. OK.
1: So it's his, I guess, new show.
2: He's yeah, the guy who it. filled in right for uh, John Stewart. He, he was, was one of the correspondent movie. guys. And yeah, he's he's been on there. Well,
1: he's really funny and he roasts FIFA this week. Oh, okay. His net neutrality bit this week is about FIFA and how awful it is. Okay. And uh I would suggest you finding it. It's yeah. It's w- worth the time. But, uh, okay, a couple things because we're running out of time here. We want to get to Rob Stone and hear someone smarter than us talk about the World Cup. But will you watch this? The times are very good. I think the U.S. has two
2: games at 6 and one at noon. I would will- – I would be shocked if I did not watch it. Um, I don't know that I'll sit down from the start of one game to the end of one game unless the U.S. does something miraculous. It might not have a
1: full 90 in you.
2: Yeah, probably not. Well, it's it's like a real 90 minutes other than the halftime, right? Right. So, I mean, that would, it's easy to watch, I guess, from that point yeah. of view. But uh, I would guess if I was betting on it and I could make a bet and the bet wouldn't sway me one way or another, I would guess I don't unless the U.S. – Does well in their group. And then maybe I sit down and watch their – the tournament round or whatever they call it. Well,
1: I will absolutely be watching uh, almost every day. Saturday at
2: 6 o'clock when Italy and England start, I will be glued to it. I do remember watching a lot in 2006. I I think we might have been in Pittsburgh – For one of the games,
1: we were on a Pearl Jam trip. Yeah. Yeah, and we did watch.
2: I remember a nasty goal. I can't remember who it might have been. It was Argentina. Oh, it was Argentina. Scored
1: against Mexico. Okay. I think to eliminate Mexico. It was an unbelievable goal. But But, yeah, uh, so
2: I'd be shocked if it's not. This is one of them perfect things just to have on in the background, like while I'm playing with Molly or something. Like, because football, if you miss a play, you might not know what happened. Soccer, I mean, there's a lot of back and forth, so.
1: All right. Well, let's take a break and find out what Rob Stone thinks about the World Cup. Our next guest is from Simsbury, Connecticut. He is a graduate of Colgate University, where he played and captained the soccer team. He's called the PBA for ESPN, where he coined the phrase handbone and has covered Major League Soccer, NCAA football, and basketball, and the NFL. Today, he's a commentator for Fox Sports, where he covers most soccer programs and events. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Rob Stone. How are you doing today, Rob? Good, bud. Uh, thanks
3: for reminding me. I grew up in Connecticut. It's been a long time since people brought that up.
1: Are you a proud Connecticut native? Not a fan. Yeah, of
3: I'm, I'm not like a husky. Uh-huh. I'm a Hartford Whaler. I'm a Hartford Whaler, not a Yukon Husky guy. So uh, I, I miss my, I miss my mighty big whale. I love seeing the green, green and blue in random places. You know, their merchandise is huge out there. I, I live out here in LA now. Now every two three weeks, I'll see somebody wearing some kind of Whaler gear, uh, and I'm always like, "Are you a Whaler fan?" And they're like, "Ah, I just like, just like the gear." So. Uh, that's yeah. all right. I, I wish more people liked the gear when the Whalers were still
1: around. Yeah, I always think of the Whalers every time I drive to New Haven. I drive right by there. And also, I, I'm a big Pearl Jam fan, and so Hartford is usually one I'll go to. And I, I've been to the Axel Energy Center the last two times Pearl Jam played there, and I, and it's just full of Whalers. Like, everyone there has a Whalers shirt on, it seems like. Yeah. 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 I've got, I've got plenty of gear uh,
3: sitting in my closet right now that I break out at random at random times. There's nothing like showing up at Home Depot with your Hartford Whaler jersey on and just getting stares.
1: Did you have a reaction when it was an All-Connecticut NCAA final a couple years ago? I know what... No. No? Not,
3: not really. You know, I, I've i been ingrained in, in covering sports for so long now that, you know, I, I don't really get too high or too low about any teams. I, I really only allow myself maybe three true teams to... The flat out cheer for and the rest, I just try and stay impartial um, and just kind of kind of cover it without you know without being a fan or without being a critic or without uh, being an opponent, so to speak.
1: are you out on who the three teams are or do you keep it to yourself
3: uh, I mostly keep it to myself I mean people always want to ask like who's your soccer team who's your soccer team and man i I've, I've been i've been in Soccer since I got out of college covering it, I've been so fortunate that uh, my stock answer, and it's the truth, is, um, is the U.S. national team won, and any any club that an American is playing on. Uh, okay. You know, when when Fulham had all those great Americans sense. running through it, mm-hmm. Fulham was, was a team that I was cheering for. Just I wanted to see the Americans do well on this uh, wonderful stage and, and earn respect uh, for the game here in our country and what what our players can actually can actually do at that level. So those are that, that's kind of my, my thing. Cheer for the Americans, cheer for the national team. All right. I'll let the other ones I'll let the other ones float out there. I, no will, deal
1: I will admit that I'm a traitor when it comes to soccer. I'll say that Whoa, right I'm Wait say a that, second. Yes. I will explain. Okay. All right. So I don't know anything about club soccer really. Uh, it's usually played when I'm asleep. Uh, for most of my life, I would have never known where to find it. Um, I don't understand the playoffs and how things work. It's just I just don't know really anything about club soccer. So I got no opinion for you there. I don't know anything about it. But I love international soccer and have appreciated it. And my first real taste of it was the 1994 World Cup. Now, that World Cup was in the United States. And... At the time I lived with my great grandmother who was is an Italian immigrant and I am only a second generation Italian American so that means that my grandma was also a uh, was an Italian immigrant as well but I lived with my great grandma at the time and we watched that whole world cup together and we cheered for Italy in the final and watched with her as Roberto Baggio kicked the ball over the net And she cried for her beloved Italia uh, as the ball sailed over and Brazil celebrated, and then she died like the next year. Well, I mean, she was very old. She was my great grandmother. Was you know far from a tragedy, but ever since that kind of moment, I I just I root for Italy when it comes to world soccer. So I even uh, I think in two thousand and six, Italy and the USA played against each other. And everyone you know, said to me, are you still going to root for Italy? And I said, yes, because I think they can win the whole thing. And I don't see any reason to believe why the United States can. And uh, Italy did win the whole thing, I think, even though they, they tied. I'm pretty sure that was that one. Uh, and yeah, it was. 2006 was when they played each other. So I am a traitor uh, when it comes to international soccer. But that doesn't mean I don't want to complain about the U.S. coach to you in a second after you, I let you respond to me being a traitor.
3: You want to make sure you have plenty of time to complain, right? I I, like that. That's the beauty about the United States. We we get to complain and feel like it's our god given right,
2: right.
1: Uh,
3: And and secondly, is that you know we are that proverbial melting pot. There's so many people that have uh, bloodlines that reach far beyond North America and the United States in particular. And as a soccer guy, as an American, and as an American fan, I respect it, I understand it, but I also run into a lot of situations. I also get frustrated with the fans that, you know, who am I to judge who you cheer for, right? So uh, I understand that. But I get bothered by uh, there's certain fans out there who were born in the U.S., raised in the U.S., who have no allegiance at all, openly root against the United States. And, um, you know, here in L.A., obviously, there's a lot of Mexican-Americans. I get it. You want to cheer for your country, but the hatred that they have for the United States uh, in some circles, I never really fully understood. You know, I, I always felt like this country gave you an opportunity, gave you a chance. This is where you are right now. This is where you were born. I would think you would have some affinity towards the red, white, and blue, and also cheering. You know, for your country, be Costa Rica or Honduras or Mexico, or of, of European descent. And uh, that—that's the one thing that I, I just—I haven't fully grasped, and I, I probably need to get over it and move on. But um, I guess I—I'm saying is I'd like to see more. American, being American fan, and it is growing. That number is certainly growing. I see it, and it's it's laid out in front of our eyes every four years at the World Cup.
1: And I've only rooted against them the one time. You know what I mean? Like any other against any other squad, I, all for Let's let's do it. Let's win. I love yeah. for as you as that's a,
3: fine. Yeah, as that's a citizen fine. of the I'd, United I'd States, that. that works in my my little odd book.
1: Yeah, and and you know what? I, I in in a way too. There's part of me as like a patriot that would almost. Want the United States to win the World Cup more than Italy in the sense that how great would it be as an American to be able to say we've conquered the world game? That might sound a little extreme, conquered, but uh, won the biggest event in, in the world's game. Like it would, I could see how it could mean a lot more at this point for the United States. So I do, have, I do want them to win, but it's so hard for me when we have to get excited about that. OK, there's a, an NHL hockey player named Brooks Orpik. You know who he is? He plays for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The yeah, okay. His dad named him after Herb Brooks, who is kind of a legendary uh, international coach. I could not imagine Herb Brooks, just months before the 1980 Olympics, coming out and saying, you know what? There's really no reason to go to uh, Lake Placid because there's no way we're going to win. We would need to have seven straight miracles to win or whatever. Uh, why should. I mean. This guy, What has this guy ever done, Klinsman, what has he ever done for U.S. soccer? Now today he says that he, Kobe Bryant is uh, getting paid $50 million for two years based on what he's going to do in the future, uh, or what he did in the past, not what he's going to do in the future. Isn't that exactly what he wants us to, to agree we're doing for him? Aren't we paying him a ton of money on his past? And doesn't he want us to like wait for his future? I mean, I don't understand this guy at all. He leaves the Derek Jeter of soccer off the team, which I'll, you'll never be able to explain to me makes any sense at all, and then he tells me we have no chance to win, and I'm supposed to be somewhat excited about the United States playing in this tournament at all? Well, there's a,
3: there's a gazillion takes on on all the things you just hit.
1: Okay, and I said it all, so you go ahead and you can have a gazillion No, responses. no, that's alright, and I'll try and hit as
3: many from, from my viewpoint. You know, number one, uh the Landon Donovan decision, I personally disagree with. You know, I, I think he's the greatest soccer player uh, in American soccer history. Uh, I think he can still perform. I think he makes our team better, which to me is the bottom line. He's not a cancer. He's not a bad guy. He's a wonderful resource for the young guys. He's somebody that we have trust and faith in, and he's a guy who's been able to pull it off on this stage before, and has given me no reason to think he couldn't continue to do that. All right? The second part, though, is Jurgen Klinsmann has been granted really an unprecedented uh, long contract to grow this national team. You know, and that's one of the problems with the national teams in soccer—not just here in the U.S. but across the globe—is that these are very short tenures. If you look, make it beyond four years, that is a rarity. Uh, if you make it beyond two years, you should consider yourself lucky. Jurgen Klinsmann is going to be around at least under contract now for eight years, uh, and there's part of me that says I like this this long-term approach. Hey, let's not just reboot everything every four years. You know, let's start. Let's change something. You know, we need to start playing this way. We need to train these guys this way. And, and it's saying that this is not saying that Bob Bradley or Bruce Arena were doing things incorrectly. All right, if they had an eight-year contract and were given the resources, not just personally but across the board, that Jurgen Klinsmann has been granted, I would love to see what these American coaches would do. All right, this is unprecedented. What Jurgen Klinsmann has been granted, and part of me loves that, embraces it. I also love looking forward down the line to the future, to being a competitor, um, to owning this region, to, to, to in 2018 in, in Russia, saying this is a team that's easily going to get out of the group and is going to cause problems. But at at the risk of, of throwing it all the way for 2014, and I don't believe Jurgen Klinsmann feels that way. I don't think he's planning this world up for 2018. Um... You know he he's in this one to win, but the bottom line is, to me, to guys like you, is that you have a better chance of doing that with Landon and Donovan around. And you know when that initial roster came out of thirty guys, Steve, I was, I, I looked and I was like, wow, there's five guys almost immediately <clears throat> that I said, well, they're not going to be at the team. You know, I mean, these guys have no experience. They're they they're not named. They haven't done much. They, they've never really fully impressed. So I'm like, well, these guys are cl- clearly off. And I think just about all of them made the final 23-man roster. Um, and, you know, for different reasons and different positions and, and cover and things like that. But it, it's all very confusing. And, and I think the, the biggest thing that really bothers me is that uh, this, the, the decision not to have Landon Donovan on the team has, has soured a lot of people and it's kind of turned them off to the U.S. team in this World Cup. I think they wanted to cheer for him and the team, they wanted him to be that hero. Um, he was somebody that so many fans could relate to. You know, I mean, would, would, would the U.S. women's national team boot Mia Hamm off the team, you know, just weeks before the Women's World Cup, all she's done for the game uh, here and abroad? I, I don't think so, and I know it's different players and, and different sexes and things like that, but something about that decision is kind of, uh, soured a lot of people and myself included still going to cheer for the U.S. 100%. And I think once that first ball is kicked um, in the World Cup by the United States, that people are going to move on unless they don't get the offense and unless they're going to sit there and say, man, it would have been great if Landon Donovan could have started or come off the bench. So this conversation is, is far from done, and i got to be honest with you. Um, the U.S. plays – Jacksonville on Sunday if there's an injury out there, I think Landon Donovan is sitting by the red phone at his home in l a waiting to get the call to join the u s team and he he was the first pick to go, and I think he would contribute
1: yeah well i yeah it sounds like we agree mostly i mean i did you kind of somewhat imply that the coach is kind of like a doctor going into a cancer patient saying we you only have six months to live? in the sense that, well, then if they die, and unless, you know, that's what he said, and if they live longer, he, it makes them look better?
3: Well, you know, coaches at, at the World Cup level, you know, it, a, it's a, it's a wonderful achievement just to make it to the World Cup. You know, we, we overlook it. We just expect the United States to be there because they've been there so long, so often. Okay, so we need to applaud them for that. But B, every team pretty much brings a guy or maybe two that you say, hey, down the road, this guy might be able to help us. And it's a great learning experience for him to sit here and watch and take it in and maybe contribute. But when that happens, rarely is it at the expense of a guy...
1: Who's a legend.
3: <laughs> who's a legend. Right. Who's a leader. Who, who's a guy who can who can score and be a game changer. And I think that's what kind of... Kind of tweaks the some of the U.S. fan base and look, there's a big percentage out there who say, "Hurrah, you know, thank you, Landon, but it's time to move on." Um, I, I don't agree with them, but you know, it's a free country, and we all have our opinions.
1: Uh, can I ask you why we need groups of death in this thing? Because I guess there's two, and and both of my teams, quote unquote, are in them. Why can't they well, we just balance they just it?
3: Happen. they just happen. It's like a, it's like a. That's a prerequisite. If you have a World Cup or a huge tournament, everybody's always looking for that proverbial group of death. You get it, uh, in, um, in, the yes. you get it in the Champions League. There's always going to be that group of death. And I think that's kind of a soccer thing that people hunt for. And guess what? When you take 32 of the best countries in the world, you know, you're bound to get three, maybe four, really, really good teams locked together at some point. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, you, you see it in everything that's a tournament format. You know, March Madness is going to have. They're always going to say the East is the East is the toughest. The West, right. You know what a tough bracket they have. It's it's just the way it goes, I think, in, in sports. But the group of death, you know, they might as well trademark it. To be honest with you, maybe that's something you and I should do when we're done with this podcast. Trademark group of death and own it and charge FIFA unbelievable rights to have people well, use. Well, that. what's Let's the opposite?
1: Like Brazil? Like I was looking at them, and I like look at Brazil's, and I was looking at. Another the one that Greece is in, I don't think was particularly very good. Like, what is that? Like the group of life? I mean, does it have an opposite? The group of uh,
3: easy? The group I mean, of ohm. The group of boredom. The group of mediocrity.
1: The group um, of wow! That was a good day at the lottery or whenever whatever they do to yeah, pick it. Yeah,
3: but that that's what happens. You know, you, you take the you take your lotto balls and and that's soccer too. I mean, so much of soccer is just luck and placement and timing. Um, you know, it's Champions League. Who do you get paired up with? Wow, you know, is it is it going to be Real Madrid or is it going to be some team that's in fifth place in Germany? You know, and it's just it's just the way things go. And I, I think it adds some of the intrigue and drama to it. It also makes it a little a little maddening at times. <laughs> no, uh, that, that's the beauty and the charm of this game.
1: I know that sometimes we will anoint groups to the group of death based on how countries are ranked by FIFA and that then we can get to the actual event and realize that the rankings themselves were probably dubious because the teams don't play up to their ranking. And I'm just kind of throwing it out there that maybe you think the team this year that is way overrated in FIFA's rankings, is, it's got to be Uruguay, right? Uh, you know, when
0: you
3: got a guy like Luis Suarez on your team,
1: um, yeah, yeah. you
3: always kind of have that little extra bit of hope. Okay, <laughs> uh, and that and that little edge where you're saying, you know, we may be even across the board at midfield and defense and and goalkeeper, but when we got a star striker, one of the best strikers in the world, who's on 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 fire in absolute form, you start thinking, you know, what, maybe we got a little edge here. And another thing about the World Cup is is uh, home field. Uh, host countries traditionally do very well. I mean, you, all you need to do is go back to 1994 and look at the U.S. Um, and you also happen to do well when you're on your continent more times than not. Of course, this tournament is played in Europe. Right. You're going to find European teams moving on. And but when you go to South America, when you have a collection of some of the best countries in the world banging it out in comable qualifying, and now you get them on relatively familiar surroundings, I think you you kind of give them a little extra check. Uh, in the success department this
1: summer. Now, here's what I, I think I'd know from collecting information and trying to prepare for this. So it hasn't been in South America since 78, right? But Argentina won that time, and they were a South American team. The last host... Maradona. right? The last host that won was 98 France, I believe. So it's been a bit, so it almost seems due, kind of. Uh, and that the northern cities were all of the U.S. games and some of the games are going to be played, it's essentially the jungle or the rainforest or something. Uh, Very, very, very difficult um, uh, conditions. And that it's, if we look at last year, I believe it was last year or the year before, the, the practice Confederates Cup where Brazil smoked Spain in the final, that maybe that game is a preview of European teams' potentially struggling in the in this tournament? Did I put all that yeah, together think, correctly?
3: Yeah, most of it. I'm not okay. going to say all of it, but most of it. I'm not an editor over here. Okay. Um, you know, There's only really one kind of rainforest, hardcore jungle, tropical venue. Uh, but look, it's Brazil in the summer, right? It's going to be hot right. and sweaty, uh, whether you're on the soccer field, in the stands, uh, or in the nightclubs, right? So let, let's get that out of the way. And I, I think the English teams you know, the European teams, they always have that stigma on them. Oh, they can't handle the heat, you know, get them extra SPF. You know, I, I think that's a bunch of malarkey in the sense that these guys are absolute athletic beasts. They run and run and run and go and go and go. And, yeah, the heat's going to be a little hotter and the humidity's going to be turned up slightly. But, you know what, a lot of the guys who play for your Uruguay's and and Colombia and Argentina and Brazil, they play in Europe play in as Europe. well. Yeah. You know, So it's not like they're fully adapted 12 months out of the year to the climate there. Certainly they played in it, they grew up in it, they're maybe slightly more comfortable in it, but I, I think some of that is just overplayed. I mean, these are some of the best athletes in the world in any sport, bar none. Anybody's going to get hot and winded playing in the rainforest, right? I mean, that's kind of a matter of the obvious, I'd like to think.
1: Okay, so you don't want to give any slight advantage to the European or non-South American teams that played in the Confederates Cup?
3: Uh, I'm not going to give them a massive advantage, no. That, I'm not going to really factor that in early on. Uh, I think where it becomes a factor is uh, is the depth of the squad. You know, if we're talking about a certain European team, now how deep can they go? Or is it they're starting 11 and then, you know, hold your breath? Is it? A team that can go fourteen, fifteen deep, and a team uh, that maybe is hit by injuries in game one or two, and is suddenly, you know, uh, forced to play some of their vets longer minutes than they would like to. I think that's when it starts kind of really becoming a, a, a more of a heated discussion.
1: Well, then if Brazil's the favorite, and then you're saying that teams with depth, then we have to look at Spain again, right? Because I heard that they cut six guys that could pretty much make any other team just about.
3: Oh, Spain. I, I mean, I think there's, there's probably about five countries who could cut seven to ten guys and they would start, not just play, but start for a majority of the countries right. out there. I, I think Brazil is absolutely your favorite. I mean, okay. it, it, it seems like it's been too long. And for this tournament to return really to kind of the, the soccer roots, if you will, I think so many people just associate Brazil and soccer and just say that they are one. They are in the same setting. Uh, and for, for that to happen and for the team to, to really kind of have the talent uh, this year and that home field advantage and, and just an unreal uh, surrounding and fan base, I, I think they have to be the favorites. Uh, and Spain is probably just fine with that. You know what? Put all that attention and all that focus and all that pressure on them. Let us continue to be the defending champs who are going to slowly, methodically work our way through the tournament. Uh, and and be at least I think a semifinalist. I think that's that's fair to say. I, I think they and Germany are the two strongest European teams. Uh, and then I think there's going to be a whole mess of South American teams really vying uh, as well to fill up that semifinal bracket.
1: So, do I have this figured out? Is the best path for the U.S. to beat Ghana? Hope that Portugal and Germany tie, and then just hope that you can. Beat one of the other, beat one of those teams in the jungle, one nothing, and win the tiebreaker. Like is that?
3: Is yeah, it down to that pretty know, much? I mean, everything in these tournament settings always really hinge on on your first game. Uh, you don't get the result that was expected of you, or necessary or really needed. Then the panic button uh, gets slid underneath your hotel door,
0: mm-hmm. and.
3: That's all everybody's talking about. That game two seven becomes must win, and they got to do this, and they got to get their three points. So to me, so much depends on one your start, and then and then who your third match opponent is, and where that that team is. You know, if that third team uh, is is a world power and has essentially locked things up after two games, I'm thrilled to play them. Right? They're, they're going to try and rest a couple of their guys. They're gonna they're gonna downshift a little bit, and I think that's a great time to kind of swipe a point from them, uh, or or maybe more. But everything hinges, everything hinges on the first game.
1: Right, and so for 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 the U.S., it's it's Ghana, and just to ask you a few Italy questions, then I'll let you go. We're talking to Rob Stone. From uh, Fox Sports, he's at Rob Stone on Fox. And this is your guys' last one before you guys are hosting this, uh, this. You'll be, the next World Cup, you probably won't be talking to me at this point. You'll already be in Russia getting ready to do work, right?
3: You, you've got my phone number now. You can <laughs> hunt me down. I can, yeah. you know, what, what What you need to remember, though, actually, is Fox takes over uh, World Cup duties immediately after this Men's World Cup, which means right, there's the women's next one. summer in Canada, right. the Women's World Cup on Fox.
1: Right, that's right. Women's one, yeah, right? Very nice. So you're right. Roll, I'm sure this is probably can't wait for almost. You're looking ahead to 20. You're like Klinsmann. You're like, Yeah, hey, this one, all right, whatever. But
0: 2018.
3: I, I, I wish I had his paycheck. And you know what? There's no guarantees that World Cup's in Russia. And in right in 2022, 20, I don't think there's any guarantees that that one. Yeah, Jeremy butter. Schaaf I mean, just flipped
1: everything upside down, right?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's there's a lot of pieces that are gonna. Fall into place as soon as this World Cup is done. Um, you know, reports are going to be released, decisions are going to be made, um, and it's it, it it just it just stinks, right? It really kind of smells like there's something bad, uh, really, for both of those. To be honest with you, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It'd be absolutely groundbreaking and 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 just shattering the stratosphere of the way soccer has been dealt with uh, for decades and decades. But it wouldn't surprise me if one of those gets the rug pulled out from underneath them. Even though so much has already been invested in these infrastructures um, in in Russia and Qatar. But hey, if it's crooked, it's crooked, and you got to make a change.
1: Right. All right. So it sounds like everyone, everyone, no one is picking Italy at all for anything, really. And that I think would be great for them. In the, in a lo, like what you excited about Spain, I think it would be the same for Italy. Right. For them, they just go in. The first thing they have to do is beat England, right? If they can beat England, uh, then you know they could assume that they can beat. They're going to have to be able to beat Costa Rica if they're going to be a real threat in the tournament, and then hopefully the match against Uruguay won't matter.
3: Right. right? That's, that's kind certainly. That certainly. But you know that that's certainly Italy speaking. Right. You know, get their two wins, and then you know that third game essentially should be uh, non-imperative. And and, I, and again, it it goes back to that first game. And you know what? England's saying the same thing, though. Right, England's exactly. saying, you know, we take care of Italy. We're, we're the team that's battling with Uruguay. And, and Costa Rica, man, I tell you, on this stage, they are tough. And I know they've been well, a, a big injury blow, but the CONCACAF teams, really, people really look down on them. Um, and I don't think people expect much of such a small country like Costa Rica. There's some talent in that country. And, and they're one of those deals I don't think you really want to face and you certainly don't want to give them any, any confidence going in. But I think clearly, you know, Costa Rica is that, that team that's been pegged for that fourth spot in the group. And then it's, it's two it's, you know, the two European giants in Uruguay battling it out.
1: Right. Well, I guess we'll have to see what uh, Buffon and Pirlo have left. I think that that, I mean, they were great last summer. That was that was last summer, right? The Confederates come i not thinking okay. of two years ago, am I?
3: Pir- Pirlo's still got it. Don't worry about last summer. You know, don't right. worry about this spring. They were great did, last summer. You know, right. he's ageless. He's just such an impeccable, you know, human being. He's got that look with that beard, you know. I, I right, asked yeah. him, you know, spelling like Joe Secchi's Italian, you know, the world's most interesting man in Italy type thing. Um I, I, I like it. And Balotelli is gonna create right, he's, the man. he's gonna create drama and conversation. He's mm-hmm. already doing it with uh, uh, some uh, some photographic tweets that he sent out recently. I, you know, I think Italy, Belgium, um, countries like that are really kind of kind of lurking there in, in the shadows and, and enjoying that no one's really discussing them too much because uh, I, I think they can cause some damage.
1: And they have to have a little bit of confidence against Spain, having only lost to them in penalties in the big competition last year. You know, I mean they could have won that game easily. And I mean they lost in penalties, and it was like thirteen penalties. It's like it went on forever before the. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean so know, the other
3: thing, Spain is a, a notorious, slow starter in these big competitions. Um, you know, they, they they build their they build their way up. But if you catch them early, you, you know, you might be able to steal a point from them uh, or, or even more.
1: All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Rob Stone, thank you so much for all the time. Again, it's at Rob Stone on Fox, on Twitter. Uh, very nice to spend a lot of time with us to preview the World Cup. And, uh I'll be tracking you down uh, between now and who knows when to see get some uh, soccer scoops from you, and uh, I won't have to put all the pressure on Grant Wall all the time who gets sick of my calls. <laughs> Grant's a good
3: man. I'm, I'm happy to take some of the load off his shoulder. All
1: right, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate the time. You
3: got it, Steve. Bye bye.
1: All right, I want to thank Rob Stone for being on the podcast and talking soccer with us. Really looking forward to the World Cup here in the next 30 days or so. Should be a great tournament. Uh, I guess I know I mentioned uh, I'm an Italy guy. Love uh, to see them win their fifth World Cup. Love, obviously, to see the United States win their first, although their coach has already made it clear they won't. And uh, I guess other than that, it's anyone but Brazil for me, hoping that they don't extend their lead on uh, the Azzurri. Ah, uh, book club for this week. Uh, just what we've been doing here the last few weeks: a Cuban boxers' journey, Guillermo Rigondeaux from Castro's trader to American champion by Bryn Jonathan Butler. That's an ebook that you can get on all ebook formats. Uh, we had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago with SL Price, who also has a Cuban book that's been recently reissued on paperback and also created into an ebook that's called Pitching Around Fidel: A Journey into the Heart of Cuban Sports. And our third one, which we're looking forward to interviewing this guy in a couple weeks, it's called Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle That Defined a Generation by Blake J. Harris. Uh, Three great books this month, uh, especially uh, Bryn Jonathan Butler and S.L. Price. They got that Cuba thing going, and then we got some video games for some fun over the summer uh, with Blake J. Harris. We're going to take a break, we're going to come back with Matt Yoder from Awful Announcing. Tracy Porter, taking it all the way. Touchdown, Our next guest is from Columbus, Ohio, and is a graduate of Ohio Wesleyan University. He is the managing editor of the Awful Announcing blog and was the 2011 Best Young Sports Writer uh, as named by the United Sports Media Awards Project at the BWB4 in New York City. He is making his first appearance on the sportscaster today. A warm welcome to Matt Yoder. What's up, Matt?
0: Thanks for having me. And I have to say, above those authors appearing on your podcast, tops them all. And it warms my heart to have... Not just the Ohio West team team played as an intro, but the greatest moment in sports history, uh, as well. So thank you for having me aboard today.
1: As I sit right now, I sit next to a giant uh fat head of Tracy Porter pointing at the end zone. It's pretty sick. It's uh four foot by six foot I think. I got it for Christmas one year and it's just him pointing and Scott Shanley and uh will smith are pointing as well
0: wow that's a that's yeah. in fathead form i had no idea see yes. i have the picture you know the sports illustrated commemorative cover right i think a pennant is somewhere in there but not the fathead I, that might be on sale nowadays they only have to, to go and search that out
1: you know i got to uh interview trico a few times and i obviously talked to him about uh the blo- the pump block we got to talk about that in detail and then the second time he was on, since we had already talked about that, I talked about one of my other favorite Saints touchdowns of all time, and that was the Devry Henderson touchdown in the Patriots game, the Super Bowl season, when he was literally the only player on the television. Like, you could have a 90-inch television, he's still the only player on there. And uh, someday i got to get Nance so that we can talk about that Tracy Porter pick. But,
0: that would be terrific. And yeah. the thing that I remember about most from the call of that play was still Sims saying that on that play, I think it was a 3rd and 5, he said the Saints should sit back in coverage, and they came, and then Tracy Porter read the route that Reggie Wayne was going to run, picked it off, and ran into immortality.
1: Uh, And in in Sims' credit, he did say that he was, immediately said he was an idiot. He says, he's like, yeah, I said that they shouldn't, well, they sent everybody, I think is the quote, so I've watched that clip a thousand, two thousand times, I don't know. Uh, I want to geek out on the Saints, but before we get too far carried away into that and everyone uh, tunes us out, I wanted to ask you a little bit about awful announcing and uh, and uh, kind of. I know that you've come in, you came into it kind of after it was on a little bit of a hiatus. I guess I was kind of researching a little bit of the history of it, and it seems to me like awful announcing lives in this world of underappreciation, but appreciation, whereas, like, everyone who's important always references it and how great it is, yet it still feels undervalued a little bit to me or underappreciated, because it seems like whenever I'm either reading something about sports media, it's either from there or sourced
0: from there. Well, I appreciate the the thought that we are underappreciated. I guess I I would rather be underappreciated than overappreciated, but I guess my journey with the site did start kind of in the, I like to call it AA 2.0 um because Brian Powell did an amazing job with the original version of the site That really was one of the pillars of the the sports blogosphere you know I, I like to kind of brag about this and it's nothing that I did but there's three blogs mentioned in the ESPN book by Jim Miller the number one bestseller it's that's been it's the big lead and it's also announcing um, and that was what he built and so when I came in at about 2010 2011 um, it was really a challenge to live up to that to what the site has done and I like to think we've built on that foundation, done some different things, tried to stay true to that core as well, but also expand it and really as we've gone on, the support for the website, the readership that we have, um, it still is kind of mind-blowing to this day uh, to see what it has done and hopefully what it, what it will continue to do.
1: I wonder about, about continuing in growth and obviously with the internet, everyone wants to try to find a niche. Do you ever worry sometimes that your particular site is a little bit too narrow, that your niche is too narrow, that the potential for growth doesn't necessarily exist? I mean, we're always thinking about this with our own show. Like, are we doing enough to maximize the amount of people that we can reach? Do you ever feel
0: kind of pigeonholed? That's a really good question, because that's kind of part of the expansion uh, that we've done in the last couple of years, because there's only, so far, a, a blog about announcers will get you. And so that's why we kind of went just beyond, you know, announcing slubs and mistakes and whatever, and went into more of the, the news of the, the sports television industry. Uh, we got into Twitter a lot and stories that were happening there, how does social media have an impact on sports, uh, some of the rights deals, even in the last year or so, we've had to break some stories of our own with some of the connections that we've made with people in the industry who have read Awful Announcing and appreciate, thankfully, what we do. So that is a really good question because I find myself, you know, there are viral stories that happen that, you know, I would love to get a hold of, I'd love to get the paid views for it, but I have to to think about that balance that's a split with our overall mission of the site, or does isn't stray too far away from it. Yet does this kind of pull us out to a wider audience? So I think with everything that we do, we're always kind of walking that tightrope to, to not stray too far from that core, I guess you could say niche audience that we have, while also trying to get us in front of new people. So that's, it's a really good question, something that we definitely think about constantly.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like a little bit of a paradox for you guys, I'm sure, because you don't want to annihilate inali- inali- people. That's great. You don't want to alienate what has gotten you to the point where you are, but you always want to grow. I mean, everyone in, uh, in media, you always want to grow. What about... Uh, exactly. Right.
0: Um, and, you know, with that, I think some people might look at the name awful enough and say, oh, well, all they just do is rip people. Well, the best compliment that we can get from anyone is that we're fair. So if you make a screw-up, we're going to call you out on it. But if you do good work, if you do great work, we're going to praise that. We're going to lift that up. We're going to compliment that and bring light to it because, you know, I think there is this perception that the sports blogging world is just, you know, nasty trolls who just want to see everyone film. That's not the case. You know, not everyone deserves to be ripped to shreds like Skip Bayless does. Um, so if there is a person out there that is doing good work, we definitely want to call attention to that and say, you know, our name is, is off awful and yes, but... We want to look at the good and bad. We want to look at the totality and the whole of the industry and where it's going. So that's another part that kind of lays into that
1: too. Do you feel like you guys are sort of what, – what do you think about like the Richard Deitches of the world? Do you view him as a competitor or do you view him as someone who's only bringing more people interested in what you're writing
0: about? I've actually had this conversation with Richard and a couple of other guys before. I think the more people that write about the sports media world, the better for us because it's drawing more attention into it. It's creating more interest. Now, do I see Richard Deitcher as a competitor? Absolutely. If he has a story in his Monday media column that I've been working, he has some breaking news that I was trying to chase down myself, you know, and I lose that story to him or anyone else, then, yeah, you know, I'm going to feel a little salty about that. But I also think that since it's kind of a, a smaller, more specialized beat, uh, that it's important that we can work together on stories and try to, to create that interest. Because I, I think me and Richard, we've both noticed over the past few years that there is an increased appetite out there for sports media news and information analysis. Um, because you see, I think more fans are, are, are turning their eyes to the importance that you know, ESPN and their cable subscription have uh, over the sports world and why it matters that ESPN gets over $5 from every single cable subscriber and can print their own money for all eternity where NBC and Fox are getting 20 to 30 times less that. And that, that stuff matters not just to media guys like us, but that matters as far as sports as a whole and who's paying for what and who gets resources for what. Um, A great example is the new MLS deal. I mean, that is a a contract that can fundamentally change soccer in America just because of the exponential increase in television revenue. That's one of the the missing pieces for MLS. But I think that people are becoming more aware of the importance of the media world and the impact that it has on sports. So, yeah, we're competitors, but I think we're also working together to, to maybe give a boost in coverage to this field and this beast that is is gaining more following and more attention.
1: You know, we know Richard really well, so I can joke with him, uh, and you have to really if you're going to have him on. You have to be ready to joke with him because he's going to come at you You have have to be ready for anything
0: because I've had Richard on too, and I've had many (laughs) conversations on and off the record with him, and you never know quite what you're going to get, whether it be uh, his NWO YouTube videos or um, his pop culture references, Uh, Anything involving Darren Morrell. I mean, there's a lot there with Richard to to
1: kind of play off of. Yeah, we like to say that we made him famous, and if we didn't make him famous, we at least were the reason that people know he does have a soft side. Uh, You know, but um, I guess we joke with him about that. We also joke with him about his agenda, and like, I say, all right, so what is on your sports media agenda today? Like, what, like, and. and he doesn't even, I don't even mean it as like a, a negative. Like he knows that there are certain things that he does use his power on Twitter to try to push, like Skip Bayless, as you mentioned. And I was wondering, is there any, is there any, does awful announcing have similar missions? Are there any things in the sports media world that you use the site as a vehicle? And and I know the word agenda makes it sound really negative, but I don't mean it in that context. Do you know what I'm trying to get at, sort of? Yeah, yeah.
0: And I, I think it's an interesting question. I, I guess I wouldn't say that it's a, an agenda, so to say. I mean, you know, I, I don't really wake up in the That in makes the it sound really say, bad, oh, yeah. how, can I, how can I get a dig in it to get Bayless in a tweet today, uh, or anyone else, or any other cause that we might have? Um, I guess I would differ in that regard, that, you know, we're we're more trying to to give it up to the readers to decide. You know, what are their agendas? What are their goals? What do they want from their sports networks? Um, and if we can pre- present information, if we can present some analysis in, in an informed, mature way, um, and maybe make people laugh uh, every now and then too, or maybe cringe at some of our attention at humor as at well, um, then you know, hopefully we're doing our job. So I, I think I would leave more of the, the agenda side to the readers and to our audience and have them decide. Uh, and voice their
1: opinion, what they want, uh, and what they desire from their sports coverage. Uh, At the end of June, or I guess we're in the the beginning, middle of June here, uh, one thing that I always wonder about sports media is how people who critique it feel like the NHL and the NBA have been represented by their partners during the long springs that they have for the playoffs. How do you think that each league has... Uh, been represented by their partners here. What do you think has been good and bad about the coverage of both uh, playoffs during these long couple of months that each league has sort of to themselves?
0: You know, NBC Sports Network really doesn't get the credit it deserves for the depth of quality and coverage. And I know it's easy to poke on at NBCSN because of the hunting and the sitting shows and some of the other things that they've done. They're not really in this race with ESPN, but what they've done, what I really like about their strategy of the network is they have seen opportunities where fan bases have been underserved by ESPN and the industry as a whole, whether it be Formula One, whether it be soccer, whether it be hockey, and they've gone all in on those sports and really given great, dedicated coverage. You know, the NHL comes to NBC... Like, we're not getting any love from ESPN. We know that. But what we as, you know, NBC and NHL can do is give our fans that show up night in, night out the best coverage possible. And when you have guys like Doc Emmerich, Eddie Olchick, um, Liam McHugh, host of the studio show, Kenny Albert, who's um, been it. a big voice throughout the playoffs, yeah. you can serve those fans in the best way possible. And if anything, you know, I know before, who, who maybe knows more about hockey media than anyone else in this country, who writes for us now, who's been a great addition for us, uh, has praised NBC, but also said, look, you guys can do more. You know, when there's a night off, come to these guys, give them a studio show, give them an analysis show, give us something NHL-related before 6 o'clock in the daytime. So if anything, if there's a challenge for the NHL and NBC, it's to expand upon what they've already done. For the NBA it's a totally different scenario because you have two different networks that provide coverage, and I know it, it's funny every time I we reach the NBA Finals and TNT gives up the ghost for the year, I always get questions. You know, isn't it sad that that we don't get inside the NBA anymore? Charles Barkley and the gang have disappeared. I think that shows the respect that people have for TNT's coverage. ESPN's kind of the missing link there because I don't think their NBA guys get obviously the same amount of depth that TNT does, but I'm a really big fan of Mike Breen and what he does, and he's really one of the more underappreciated uh, guys in the business. I know there's some give and take with their studio show, but I think the fact that they have a host now has greatly improved it. But I think they're on the, the uptick as well. So overall... When you look at the coverage of the NBA and the NHL on, on these networks, I think fans of both should be pretty happy with what
1: we're getting so far. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. We're talking with Matt Yoder from awfulannouncing.com. Uh, I want to get one more media question, and then we'll talk a little bit about Saints, and I'll let you go. Uh, so now that the NHL and, and the NBA finals are kind of winding down, no time. We got another huge event. Uh, Rob Stone is also on this podcast, so I know he's really looking forward to the next World Cup for sure, as Fox Sports is going to take over. Uh, what are you looking for from ESPN here in the next couple of weeks as a uh, broadcast one of sports biggest, the biggest sporting event in the world I guess really.
0: You know, I've said it time and again that ESPN the Global Soccer coverage is the best thing that network does when you look at the 2010 World Cup and what they've done with the US national team and the Women's World Cup don't leave that out of course what they do should be the standard for the rest of the network. I think that's why some of the the lowest common denominator programming is so disappointing at the end because we see the height they can reach and how good they can be when they put their best towards an event like the World Cup. If you're looking at a media storyline and a perspective there, I think the most compelling factor is who's going to end up calling the final with Ian Dark. There's a lot of great analysts there. Stefan Okoku, who called the 2010 final with Martin Tyler. Stuart Robinson, who, if you're familiar with any English national team game that you see on, on Fox, you're familiar with that voice. And then Taylor Trollman, who I think is probably the best American soccer analyst that has worked on television. The team's kind of giving this... Uh, an opportunity for all of these guys to work with different partners for the first couple of weeks. I think they're going to decide, you know, based on merit and based on the first couple of weeks of the tournament, who's going to work that final. Um, so that would be the interesting storyline to watch is who gets those assignments uh, down the road. I think it would be a, a big step to see a guy like Taylor Tomlin get that assignment next to Ian Park, a because of the good work they've done calling us uh, men's national team games over the last few years. And then. World Cup cycle, but also the importance of having an American voice there. And I know this has been hotly debated amongst soccer circles, and Fox has gotten a lot of heat for maybe foreseeing Gus Johnson a little too early as that American voice. But if you can kind of take that next step with a guy like Taylor Twelman for the World Cup final this year, that may be a bridge that Fox can, can work with moving to 2018. And So if it's not Gus Johnson and that grand experiment kind of flames out, maybe there is another American commentator, like a Bill Shane, like a John Strong, that you can say, look, we're comfortable with an American guy calling this, uh, and it'll help move the sport in the right direction in this country. So that, to me, I know I'm expecting the best of ESPN, but if there's a storyline worth watching that will evolve as the tournament progresses, I think that's the one to keep an eye on.
1: I'm also interested to see how they're going to handle Covering the tournament and what may or may not happen outside of the walls of the tournament in Brazil you know the
0: yeah that's, what, that's another real interesting yeah. one because we've seen ESPN come out and say look you know we want to keep the focus on the tournament but we will cover outside stories as the news dictates so if there is something that happens in Brazil, I think ESPN has enough resources on the ground uh, to cover it and to do it justice but that'll be very interesting to see as the tournament unfolds
1: yeah absolutely. All right, before I let you go, I want to talk to you about the Saints for a couple minutes. All right, here's the one thing. Of course, I was- that's, that's why I'm here, to it. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so first we should share with each other why we're Saints fans because you're from Columbus and I'm from Buffalo. So I'll tell you mine real quick and then I want you to tell me yours because it makes no sense that we're both lifelong Saints fans. And so here's my story. So when I was three years old, I taught myself how to read because I really wanted to see what the newspaper was talking about the Sabers. I heard that there was stuff in this newspaper that came to my house every day about the Sabres and I wanted to read it. I was obsessed with hockey. I'm still obsessed with hockey really to some degree. Uh, but I love the Sabres. And then I found out that more people in my city maybe like the Bills more. And I got frustrated with the fact that anyone would consider paying any attention to the Bills as opposed to the Sabres, and it just turned me off. I didn't want any part of the Bills because they took away focus from the Sabres. And really, football was that way until I was six, going on seven. It was January of 1987. I sat down one day, begrudgingly to watch football with my dad, and I said, who's playing? And he said, it's the Vikings and the Saints, and he told me that the Saints were this terrible team for uh 20 years that they've been in the league at the 67 yeah 20 years they've been in the league at the time and uh this is the first time they're any good and they're hosting this playoff game and the strike and he's telling me all about it i said all right i want them to win and of course they get off to a great start and the superdome looks so cool and they look so cool and then they end up losing you know 48 to 10 or whatever and i was just i was in that was my team for life right from that moment so that's my story that's why i'm a saints fan why are you
0: to tell you the truth, I have no idea, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because my my St. fandom goes back before the time I could actually form cognitive memories in my brain. Um, I just know there's, like, old Stanley VHS footage of me um, when I'm three years old at Christmas, like, really excited to get St. stuff. Uh, I think, you know, I've been told differing theories throughout my life, you know, maybe... I really like the logo. Maybe I subliminally like the black and gold colors because I also kind of grew up a fan of Missouri basketball and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I have no idea if, if that's true or not, but for whatever reason, before I could even remember, I've I've been a Saints fan. I've been a diehard, and it, it sounds like we kind of grew up in the same era because you know I, I kind of came into my Saints fan in the late '80s early 90s with the likes of the Doma Patrol. You know, Eric yeah, Martin absolutely. was my childhood hero, Bobby Aber and the like. So I have been there since that time, all the way through the ticket era, through Billy Joe Tolliver and Billy Joe Hobart. The same time. Um, so <laughs> if you can survive that, yeah. then you know you're a fan for life. Absolutely. Um, so I, it's it's kind of weird, you know, growing up in the middle of Ohio and being a Saints fan. Like, God bless my mother. She had a, a friend that she worked with who had relatives in Mississippi, and that was the only way she could get Saint stuff from me at Christmas, was to get stuff sent up from Mississippi, because, you know, this was the days before something called the Internet and uh, Amazon and things. So that's how far back it goes. I'm in it for the long haul. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I always told myself, you know, all I asked for was one Saint Super Bowl. Then I would be happy for life as a sports fan. Yeah, how now I kind of wish I would have <laughs> asked for more. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is what it is. So we'll just we'll take what comes now, I guess, and, and call it gravy. Yeah, I, my first the
1: first Saints game I was at was in Buffalo. Well. Technically, it was the second because they played here in the preseason, and I went to that as well. But during the 89 season, I was at the Bills and Saints game in Buffalo. That was uh, in a snowstorm, and John Forcade was our quarterback that day, and the Saints won. And I went with my dad, and obviously I was cheering for the Saints. And at some point, he got annoyed with me, and he made me go sit down like about six rows down. Like I said, it was a snowstorm that day. And so I'm cheering for the Saints. It's about clear they're going to win, and I get hit with the first snowball. And then the second one, I look back like who's throwing snowballs at me? Maybe my dad will help me, and it was my dad. And his friends were throwing snowballs at me, so that wasn't very nice. But, uh, uh, so here's one thing about the present Saints that I love. This, it, I get so excited about this. And maybe we can use the Steelers as somewhat of a comparison, right? And maybe even the Giants. And I don't know specifically enough about those two teams, but I know they have quarterbacks that when they retire, they're going to wish they weren't as terrible towards the end of their careers as they are now. And I just love and embrace so much the fact that Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton and whoever it is, the powers that be in the organization, have said, made a conscious decision that while we have Drew Brees and Sean Payton together, we're going to say F you to the salary cap. We're going to do a thing that I've made up, I think I made up this term called Brees Economics, and we're just going to worry about it when Brees is gone. And now it seems like they've made the same commitment in the draft, you know, by trading future picks and just making sure that they're just putting the best possible team they can have every season while Breeze and Peyton are together and I just I'm so grateful for that because the first thing I think of after the end of every game win or lose is that's one last Drew Breeze is ever going to play for us and it makes me sad for a second before I say don't worry about that now and I think we think that way as
0: Saints fans because we have been through so many quarterbacks that weren't Drew Breeze and so I think we kind of have that appreciation for him and to know that you know this is not something that is going to last forever. for every Drew Brees that comes in. There is going to be a Heath Shuler, and a Kerry Collins,
1: Steve and an Aaron
0: Brooks, yeah. although he was just elected to the St. Paul of Fame, and, and that's something we could spend an, an entire podcast on. Right. But that's, that's why I think that the moves that the Saints have made in the past couple of years are so important because that championship window that we like to talk about in sports all the time, it's that open for an indefinite period. So you have to make that move while you still can, while you still have this franchise quarterback. And that's why last year I think was such a, a disappointment, maybe above the rest of the seasons the Saints have had, because that was a defense that you could have won a championship with, with Drew Brees as your quarterback. And I think that's why, you know, if they don't win another title, that we'll look back at last year, kind of that missed opportunity. Really more than the... Because the uh, defense was so good and supported Drew Brees. And you know what? Last year, I know this is going to shock a lot of people that maybe didn't watch the Saints as close as you and I. The offense let the defense down last year because there were plenty of times that that offense got field goals instead of touchdowns. Maybe it was Sean Payton coming back from the year off. You know, maybe it was just some plays that that didn't happen that did in years past. Uh, But your hope is that maybe this year the offense can get back to scoring, you know, 30, 35 points a game, and that defense can maintain a high level so we can get home field advantage and not have to make another trip to Seattle because I I don't care. There's one thing that I don't want to see again in my lifetime, and that's a road playoff game at the Seahawks. So anything to avoid that for another year would be fantastic. Yeah,
1: I always look back at that team that lost that classic playoff game to San Francisco. I mean, if we can, if we can win that game, well, we're winning the Super Bowl that year, no? That was that was such
0: a heartbreaker. But it was such that so, game, I mean, I was like motionless for 20 minutes afterwards. And I, I didn't even know how to react because it was such a great game. And yet here you're on the wrong end of it. Right. That could have been another Super Bowl team. But yeah, I, I think, I think that last year in particular with the defense, you know, that wasn't a team last year that had to score 40 points to win every game um so just from what Drew Brees and Sean Payton had produced in years past to what they really needed to get by last year that's why that kind of sticks in my car a bit more than that that playoff loss to the 49ers and that quarterback sweep from Alex Smith that will haunt my nightmares for the rest of eternity
1: mm-hmm. yep yep
0: yep we had Kenny Albert on
1: the next day the day after that game and it was so hard for me but i was so grateful he did it because
0: he soldiered through though for the, yeah, the greater good of Yeah, the, the it was, I was so grateful yeah. he
1: did do it because it was so, so cool to have a guy who called such an epic game on you know the next day. But um, I don't know that you know when I think about last year, I know the loss that's going to haunt me the most for whatever reason is the New England game. Just that just hurts so bad for some reason. I I don't know if it's part of like living in Buffalo and watching people suffer here through so many losses to New England or whatever it was or how high I was like being six and zero, and it was, you know, the thought of like being so close to going into the buy seven and oh I, and I don't know, that one just hurt. Like it's still, that one still hurts me. Like the jets and, loss and-, and the Rams loss. It's like, they just didn't get off the bus, you know, but that Patriots loss and the, the Carolina loss—just those are hard ones to shake off because they just—they had
0: those both games. of those games. Both of those games, Steve. You know, the defense—they do allow the the last-minute touchdown drive, but just one first down right. both times. by the offense yep. wins those games. Yep. Um, and that's that's the kind of you know—it's not something that's going to show up in a box score. It's not something that's going to show up in the end-of-season rankings. But you just need one first down from your offense. And that's the difference from playing a road divisional game to a home divisional game, and maybe winning the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. And I know, and, you know the, they didn't fall the Saints' way last year. Maybe this year, maybe those breaks. Maybe they fall our way. Maybe the the first downs can be gotten those those four minute drill situations. Um, I, I, I am interested since you are a Buffalo guy, and this is something that you know I, I desperately want to ask you and get a get a feel for is a scouting report on our new big free agent signing, Jarris Burden, how Please. he fits into the secondary with Rob Ryan and Kenny Vaccaro. You know, I know we, we've done free safeties a lot last year. Raphael Bush is coming back, thankfully. But I've got to get your read and a scouting report on him and how he fits into the Saints defense.
1: I don't see how him and Vaccaro can't two or three games into this be the first or second best safety combo in the league. Like, Jarris Burden... Like, Here's uh, we I've been talking about this bill since I have no idea why a team that's clearly committed to thinking, you know, all right, it's our owner died, we're gonna have a new owner next year, Uh, and I think that the general manager and the coach really went into the draft this year thinking we really have to make sure we push as hard as we can because we maybe need to we're maybe auditioning for a shot. I have no idea why they didn't resign Jarvis Bird. I I've heard from some people in town that they came really close to what the Saints offered and he just wasn't coming back here. But he's as good of a player as this team has drafted in 15 years. I mean, I think he, wow. he's he's probably – I think he's the, he was the first person to make the Pro Bowl at his position that they drafted in – it was years. I forget what the exact stat was. But because Jason Peters was a Pro Bowler for them that they drafted as a tight end, so he didn't count. There was a long run where they didn't have a Pro Bowler that they drafted at the right position make the Pro Bowl. That guy's the best Bill since he's the best Bills player since the Super Bowl teams. So And you know what what's
0: really fascinating about that signing is we talk about the cap constrictions that the Saints have. Yeah, they can go out and make this guy kinda out of nowhere, because I don't think any Saints fan was expecting Never even to thought get Jared Burke. Uh-uh. And they make him the highest paid safety in NFL history. And it, it really speaks to I think this this phenomenon happening around the league because you know, it is a copycat league. So when you have the Saints, who are one of the best passing offenses in league history, you think of Sean Payton as an offense, offense, offense first guy. When they invest that kind of money in a safety, they are trying to do one thing. They are trying to emulate the Seattle Seahawks and build from the secondary forward. And so I think to see the Saints invest that kind of money in a, in a safety Alex, you know, which way the league is turning um, and maybe which way the Saints are turning too because they had the number two defense last year. I can't remember where the offense was, but, you know, it was kind of down bottom of the top ten. So that, to me, I mean, that not only as a Saints fan, but as someone who's a fan of the NFL is like, wow, this is kind of a a transformational signing and where the league is now and where the league and, and these teams are heading for the future.
1: Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see. I think that they had to have made that signing almost certain that they're going to win the grievance with Jimmy Graham I would think they they think they're going to win that I I would think they're going to win it too I, I would think that's a precedent the league isn't going to be willing to want to set I don't, I don't know I think I heard that even though he lined up as many times as he did in the wide receiver positions there wasn't a single wide receiver who lined up for even one snap on the offensive line where he lined up the other half of his snaps so I don't I don't know that he really has much of an argument. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's really gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out. I think I heard soon they're gonna decide one
0: way or another. It reminds me a lot of the Drew Brees contract saga, and it kind of drug out for months and months. There was a lot of worry that you know what if something goes wrong. I think this is just the way these high profile negotiations go, and you can't blame Mickey Loomis no, the this one's for on doing their it this hands. way. Yeah, that eventually a deal is going to get done. And it's, it may have to go through this process. We may have to define for you know NFL players for the next several decades what exactly constitutes a tight end. But I think it's just it, it's one of those things that makes too much sense not to happen. So I would think you know whether their hand is forced or whether they can finally come to a middle ground, something is going to happen. Um, and you know I, I don't think any Saints fan should spend too much time worrying about where Jimmy Graham's going to be the long term. I think he's going to be hopefully in a Saints uniform for a long time to come.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. All right, Matt, why don't you give everything for everyone about Awful Announcing, websites, Twitters, everything you want to give our listeners to make sure they find you in the right spot. How
0: how much time do you have here? (laughs) As much as you need, man, as much as you need. Okay. All right. Um, So first of all, you can follow us on Twitter at Awful Announcing. Follow me at MYoder84, which is mostly more announcing stuff and Saints stuff and then random things that I get into during the day. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, like us, I guess there's an awful announcing Facebook page and you can sign up for a newsletter as well, which not only features our stories, but you know, others from Richard Deitch sports media, uh, as a whole, we're kind of hoping to have the definitive sports media newsletter. there. totally free. People can sign up for us and then bookmark the webpage. So you don't miss a thing, awful
1: Got it. Sounds great. Thank you for all the time. Really appreciate it. it was fun talking to you.
0: Thanks, Steve. Enjoyed it. You guys do great work with the podcast. Keep it up, and hopefully, we'll do it again down the road. Thank
1: you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to thank Rob Stone and Matt Yoder and Linda Cone. Oh, no. I want to thank uh, Matt, Rob Stone and uh, Matt Yoder only for being on the podcast today. really appreciate that. Uh, Stone from Fox Sports, Yoder from Awful Announcing, first appearances. Uh, it is episode 18. It's June 10th. I didn't mention that off the top. That's right. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, believe it or not. We don't do much on there, but you can find us on there. Like us. Yeah, like I'm not it. sure
2: what that would do necessarily. Yeah, it's big. I guess, yeah, I guess if I all of a sudden noticed a bunch of likes, we could do something with it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. If uh, the likes go up, we will uh, provide content on Facebook.
2: What if there'd be a way to make it like automatically update with our Twitter podcast or Twitter? Twitter or, we yeah, can yeah. Them.
1: But yeah, then we might sure. annoy the hell out of people. That might, Every time we tweeted, it, it came up on their Facebook as well.
2: Right. Especially because like you do the booking tweets from the main. Right. I mean, maybe we just separate. I mean, we're talking.
1: Yeah. Who knows? But we're on that. <laughs> and if you want to like us on it, go ahead. Uh, we're also on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. Uh, you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. You can go to our website, sports-casters.com, and find our old interviews. Uh, there's some good ones on there, and that's not even a joke. No. There's
2: some good ones. Definitely. Timeless yeah. ones, too. Artie yep. Wang, all them.
1: Yep. All right. Uh, one last thing for me today. Over the weekend was another one of those hurdles in the summer of hurdles towards a wedding. You know, it was like the first thing actually was Miss Castor was the best woman at a wedding. Or what is it called? Maid of Honor? Yes. Maid of Honor. So we got over that hurdle. And then the next one was, you know, we had to do something. I don't know. Whatever. The shower is a big event in wedding season. Uh, Miss Castor's shower. And uh, I said to her the night before... That someone more influential than me – because at some point, there had to be a first shower, right? Yeah. Now just everyone has them. But at some point, there was some brave woman or woman's family who said, you're going to come to a luncheon and bring me gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a weird I don't want to hear anything about it. Yeah. I know you're already coming to the wedding and bringing money as well there. Uh-huh. But I'm starting a new life and I demand that you come to lunch. And bring gifts. And I will tell you what gifts via registry. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't want to do that, then you put money in a card, god damn it. <laughs> okay. So that happened at some point. So I said, we need a man to step up and say, you know what? You're coming to a luncheon. It's going to be at a sports bar. I'm going to register at Best Buy and the sports card shop <laughs> and GameStop. And you're going to bring me gifts there and we're going to watch sports and eat lunch, and then that's that.
2: Maybe the shower thing... We well, need
1: a male equivalent to this. I
2: agree with that, but on aside, maybe it has to do, like, back in the day when dowries, like when the woman would get right. married off, her family would give, like, the guy's family a goat or something like that. Like, you're, So maybe re- because that seems weird and, like, too old-fashioned, maybe now it's, like... Instead of us giving you gifts for marrying our daughter, we'll have all our friends give you gifts in in exchange for lunch in like a few hours and whatever. Well, it
1: was a delightful shower. It is an Uh, odd thing, though. I did as I was told. I brought flowers at a predetermined time. I greeted all the ladies. Oh, you brought flowers? Oh, yeah. I was told that that was a must.
2: Oh, I did not bring flowers. I didn't know that was a must. Failure. I guess so. I brought a bouquet. $30 it cost. (laughs) Uh, For Tammy.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I brought her a bouquet of flowers. I greeted the ladies. Uh, I sat there while we opened the gifts. You were there for all
2: the gift opening. I was. It was oh. it was a chore. I was not, though. So maybe now, that's how I didn't have to give flowers. A couple of to interesting
1: stories that. about it. Uh, one, there was a game being played beforehand, before I got there, where there was a list of things. And you had to try to guess what Tammy would write in reference to that thing. Okay, like a and one-word. One thing. of them was best man. Okay, and Tammy wrote national champion because my brother who's okay, a right, champion, right, was right. The best man. I did hear that, yeah. So I was looking around when we were cleaning up, and I was seeing these sheets and looking and noticing that very few people got any matches because you know people were keeping track, like, yeah, crossing yeah. off, putting a star. So it was a very difficult game, apparently. And I noticed that someone whose sheet was at the table that included my mother, her mother, the wedding party. Okay. Their word for best man was penis. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, who thought that the first thing Tammy thinks about the best man is his his penis? penis, And if it's someone from this table, is there something I don't know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. So, that happened. I was getting uh, texts. I got a text that said something like 88, or no, Western New York hockey player or something like that. And I sent back, uh, or South Buffalo, something like that. So, I wrote back Pat Kane. And then I realized that they were using me to cheat at the games, probably. Uh... My, My mom and... My wife.
1: Yeah, I, it's, it looked very difficult because I've seen sheets like with literally not a match. Wow. you know, And there was many categories. It seemed very long.
2: I guess you'd rather it be that way than too easy. And then there was a Mad Libs thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, Michelle still has these.
1: She, she and, did that too. And uh, so Tammy's like, you've got to see these two. Okay. Right? They're so funny. So I said, all right. So she shows me one. And I'm reading it. It is the most generic thing ever. (laughs) It's like, I wish Tammy and Steve, you know, blank happiness. Okay. At the wedding, I hope you have a good time. I'm like, why did you want me to read
2: this?
1: (laughs) And it was like written by like one of my mom's friends at work who barely knows us, which is why it was so generic. Right. And it was the wrong one. Oh, okay. So so I sat there like an idiot (laughs) reading this awful, generic, boring thing.
2: Right, she doesn't know you well enough to like, right. pick on yeah, anything. Or, yeah.
1: Right, right. One of my cousins Snapchatted during it, what is an adjective? Oh, good. Which I thought was funny. <laughs> 20 years old, no idea what an adjective is. Does have a child, though. Good. God bless that good. child. Um, what else did I want to say? She wouldn't about be able it? to
2: describe the child. <laughs> no,
1: no, it's not with an adjective. Right, right. Uh, so uh, it was a beautiful event. It's over. I encourage all future marrying guys to be the one with the balls, to have an equivalent event. Uh, I've had people say they exist.
2: They don't. I put Oreos and Charleston Chew on mine, and I did get both. So I In the registry. Yeah, I mentioned to
1: Don that one of the few things I did register for during the registry what happened to be his gift. Uh, Ms. Castor immediately called for a conspiracy, <laughs> saying that I told Don this is what she wanted the most. To make sure that no, you can tell that one I of never,
2: the, one of the kitchen gadgets that were apparently bought, yeah, was your original what intention. the wife went into the store for, right? right,
1: so uh yeah, that didn't exist, but the shower is over uh next up, I believe is her thing where their your wife can't come because she's pregnant, and it's and like it, a wine soup, yeah, it involves like getting in a limo and driving to Niagara County and drinking <laughs> wine, which I said is the male equivalent of the stag, so there is no equivalent. You can't use the stag as the equivalent to both of these events, which is what a lot of people who I said this to wanted to say. You have a stag.
2: Okay. Yeah, the right, stag is yeah, equivalent but the Yeah, the stag is equivalent part. to
1: her little rendezvous with 30 people to the uh, – Right. Where they thing. have penis straws
2: and right, stuff yeah. like that.
1: Yeah. yeah so, uh, no. But uh, – so, yeah. That will be next. Uh, then I think uh, my stag and then it's like a four-day fiasco for the wedding because <laughs> uh, – Can't wait. Because you can't have the, since it's at a church, we can't have the rehearsal the day before. I don't know. Whatever. We'll talk more about it, I'm sure, as the summer goes on.
2: All right. One last thing for me this week was going to be about uh, how E3 is getting, and it's still going to be about E3, but at first my thought was I'm going to talk about how it makes me want, like, every console. But more than anything, it makes me want a Wii U. But part of me thinks, like, that sucks. Like, they've already dropped the price on it. It feels like it's a dead console. Yeah, it's a bust.
1: Already. And your your whole thing here is that you what it really wants you to do is read our Book Club Book of the Month, Console right. Wars, by Blake J. Harris. That is originally why right. I was going
2: to bring it up, because we were talking video games. But E3 is out now, and Nintendo is releasing a bunch of games. Uh, the Wii U, for reference, according to their Wikipedia, came out in... November 2012. So now almost two years later. I don't
1: know anyone that owns it. Unless they own it without me knowing they own it.
2: Right. But now uh, there's a trailer for Zelda U. There's a trailer for Mario Party 10 coming out. There's a Super Smash Brothers. Oh, that's for the 3DS. Star Fox, which people love for the Nintendo 64 is coming out. What Not about to, apps? Not to interrupt you. Have they announced any apps? I don't know. I haven't been following... It. I've kind of been following it via headlines.
1: I'm sure they haven't, but they Hi, need to.
2: Hyrule Warriors, a Zelda spin-off type game. Uh, all these great games are coming out, but it feels like the console is already dead, so I'm a little bit torn. Um, I got in on the N64 really, really late. I got in, I think, at about the $100 mark, brand new. And once a game drops below, I think they say like 150 it's dead. Like the console is on its last legs. And the Wii U, I know, has already had one major price drop. And I'm a Nintendo shill. I love all things Nintendo. So I hope this like revitalizes it, makes people realize that there is a console out there that they made. Will they raise the price then? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten a great response to these games. We have a huge spike in sales. We're going to raise it up
1: back up $50.
2: But Nintendo seems to be all over E3, uh, judging from the our games and our gaming subreddit, on Reddit, uh, it just seems like too little too late. And one thing that happened that I kind of predicted and was one of the reasons I didn't get it for a PS3, but GTA five is getting a next-gen version, which they were real hush-hush about the whole time. Kind of a dick move a little bit by Rockstar. Right. But uh, yeah, it did get a next-gen. You got to know better, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's coming out now. So that's what my first thing was going to be. It's like, oh, I want all these games. But then I realized, man, all these games that sound really sweet are all for the Wii U. It just feels like it's two years. Wait, couple questions for yeah, you yeah.
1: before you go off. If you added, if you could go into the store today and buy the new, someone just gave you the money and said, go ahead. No problems at home. Yeah, you got a baby, but it's okay. It's not your money. It's just a very nice game. And I'm
2: not pocketing the difference if I buy the Wii U or anything like no, that. No, no,
1: no, no. They're just uh, they're just gonna pay, right? You know, okay, like sure. they're coming in behind you with, with their a credit, credit card. card, right? You, you know, you, you went through the drive-through at Tim Hortons, bought their coffee as a repayment. They want to buy your video game system at GameStop. Little yeah. imbalance, but they're very generous,
2: right? Right. It's, Do you get the Wii, the Xbox, Microsoft, One or, the... or the
1: PlayStation Four?
2: Oh boy, it's probably. I mean, as of now. I mean a lot of these games aren't going to be released until like 2000 uh, 2015 some of them so it's still a little ways out but I can name I can write down a list of games I want for the Wii U and I can't do that for the other two systems yet like I'm not a big I I couldn't tell you what are the exclusives for PS4 or, or uh, Xbox so it would probably still be a Wii U stubbornly and I'm a big PC gamer and a lot of times that's the one system you can get games... The Wii U, you can't get Mario for the PC or whatever. So it would probably still right. be... Nintendo
1: a... keeps their shit Nintendo. Right. If you want this, you're going to need a Nintendo. It would probably,
2: right. stupidly, still be a Wii U. All right. <laughs> it's... Uh... And that said I've got a PS three, I probably said this before. I bought like four or five games over the lifetime of it, and I would never consider it a waste of money. It's like my home media player. It's one like other Uray question player. then. Yeah. What if
1: you already have a Wii U at the time? It'd be a PS four. So you'd get the PS four over the Microsoft that's yeah, one. Not
2: based on really any games. I just that's more familiarity. I've I've had the I had the PS three. I've never owned an X, Microsoft anything. I mean other than like a Windows computer, but uh, Alright, I'm done. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just yeah, so Wii U, it just feels like too little too late, and I'm sure I'll probably end up jumping on it when uh it's on its way out. But and eBay is all over this stuff. eBay has the PS three for three hundred sixty bucks today, so or the PS four for three hundred sixty bucks. So E three is awesome, and I wish this was the E three Nintendo had like last year. <laughs>